What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I am Ryan, and step into the November scavenger hunt review today with me. Um, this is the first scavenger hunt review I've done. If you did not catch the preview episode, uh, that was released early on November 1st, where I went through all the 30 films from the scavenger hunt that Letterboxd put out for this month and the tasks that had to be completed, and I kind of just broke down my initial thoughts and ideas about what I expected from a lot of them, whether or not I'd heard about them before, whether or not I wanted to see them, things like that. And generally, all these movies are going to be films that I had not seen prior to this month. The only exception uh, from this month was... was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which... I had seen before in various capacities, but as I watched it, I actually felt like I hadn't seen it before because I had all these ideas in my head about things that I remembered happening in the movie, and none of them happened. (laughs) And so I realized that they must have all been moments and scenes from Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves, and you know, I distinctly remember the, the ant trap insect trap but that was honey we shrunk ourselves you know this was a different movie so it ended up being a good experience and i didn't have it on my spreadsheet before this so it is now on there so um i've you know i've talked about a handful of these movies in the retro review episode and i'll try not to uh repeat myself too much um but i so my, my idea for the formatting of this this um, look back is there's going to be a top 10. So I'll go through the top 10 films that I saw from the list. And then I've got 10 superlatives that I want to give out. And then I'll kind of address those as they go. So that's where we're at. That's what we'll do. And then I think that's it. You know, I, I don't think it's fair to cram the end of the month re- review into the same episode as the next month's preview. So this episode's coming out the last day of November. Tomorrow, on December 1st, you will get the December preview episode. I've already picked out all the movies for that, and I will be recording that episode right after So, without any further ado, let's jump in to my top 10 films from November's Community Picks Scavenger Hunt. All right, so... Starting at number 10, I recall when I was previewing the month that I had expected this movie to be the funniest film of the list, and 
Funniest film is actually a superlative to be given out down the line. So I'll kind of keep you in suspense as far as that goes. But that number 10 is Me and You and Everyone We Know. Uh, So I gave this movie a 78, uh, which is pretty high. And I think in general this month had a lot of solid movies toward the top. You know, I think in past months, I think I started this in doing this in April. And I think most of the months that I've been doing these scavenger hunts, the top 10 would dip down into probably the 60s. You know, there's generally quite a hefty swath of bad films on these lists. Because for the most part, I've seen a lot of the best, better films, better, well, most more well-known films that are out there. Uh, but, you know, like always, I do discover a lot of movies that I didn't even hear about. And, you know, a couple of them will be on here. Uh, but we're going with Me and You and Everyone We Know, 78. Uh, this is a 2005 film directed by Miranda July. It's the only film I've seen by her, the only time I've seen her in anything. And I I just found it to be a, a really sweet film. I thought that, uh, you know, it, it manages to fit together all these stories, which if you've listened to my review of Sing, there are a lot of different threads in Sing, and they don't really intersect at all. Whereas every single thread in Me and You and Everyone We Know intersects constantly. So they're very opposite ends of the spectrum in that regard. And I think Me and You and Everyone We Know goes a little too far. It's a little too contrived. Uh particularly with the um, uh, the woman who duh, who responds to the uh, the the pooping conversation ad that you know the person that responds is the one is is very odd and just like you know, by that point, you've expected, like, well, well, it has to be someone we've seen before who isn't integrated into enough threads yet. Oh. And it's like, well, of course it's her. And so it, uh, you know, so back, back and forth, uh, man, it's just, it's really hilarious. It's such a funny concept and really one that really you could only see coming from a kid. And I found that to be really strange just everything about this movie was extremely strange all the characters all the storylines i didn't really didn't have trouble following them and you know despite how often they swerved and dipped over and under each other i still felt i never felt lost and i think that's a testament to miranda july's direction. I think she's able to keep everything within the bounds of the film's parameters really well. And uh, that ability really makes it possible to enjoy the film and have fun with it. So that's me and you and everyone we know, number 10. Number nine. So 
numbers seven, eight, and nine all receive the same score from me. So they are then ordered by the first tiebreaker, which would be the Rotten Tomato score. So that makes number nine, Carlito's Way. Carlito's Way is a 1993 film directed by Brian De Palma, starring Al Pacino and Sean Penn, uh, primarily. I give it an 82, and it does feel like a sort of spiritual connected film to Scarface, uh, in a way. Uh, pretty much any uh, Pacino uh, kind of mobster film, really. And I I found it really clever, really smart in the way that Pacino acts, in the way that De Palma directs, and just the way that everything's presented. You know, you've got this guy who's trying to, you know, go straight after getting out of prison, and literally everyone around him is coercing him, convincing him, pushing him to back to the old ways that got ended got him to wind up in prison in the first place. And so, you know, I, I really empathize with that emotion of you don't want to do something, but you feel obligated to because it's your friend and it's your, you know, you owe this guy or he's been here for you for a long time or you don't want to see them get hurt or, you know, he's going to do this anyway. And if you don't join him and go with him, it's going to end up much worse. And I think that that's, for me at least, that was something that I could really connect to. And so despite the fact that Carlito does kind of succumb to the awfulness and terrible side of things a lot, it, it it's an emotional movie if you if you can view it through that lens of, you know, he really doesn't want to be doing any of these things, but he he really can't not do them. And it's all it's made all the more powerful because Pacino, you know, this is one of the last great roles I think he's had. You know, he's definitely put out a lot of pretty bad movies in the mid to late aughts and in the teens. Teaming up with pretty much anyone will have him, honestly. And so it's it's great to go back to the 90s when Pacino was, you know, you know, hoo really doing, going gangbusters all over the place. You know, that, the trick shot scene, that's, that's a great scene. Uh, and I, I love that scene. Just everything, the way it's framed, the way it's shown, everything about it really elevates the tension, elevates the character to something more than what he is. Uh, so, Carlitos Way, number nine in 82. Uh, really, really good. Really, really good. Great movie. Number eight, also with an 82, uh, but a higher Rotten Tomatoes score, is Boys in the Hood, uh, directed by John Singleton. This is a 1991 film starring Cuba Gooding Jr., Ice Cube, Morris Chestnut, and Lawrence Fishburne. 
And this is one of two movies on my top ten that really delves into the uh, sort of social aspect of particularly African Americans living in, uh, you know, living in the ghetto, living in, you know, yeah, I can't, the word that keeps popping into my mind is suburbs, but I know that, I mean, that's not true, that's not correct, uh, but ghetto, I guess, is accurate enough, and this one, I I remember in my initial re- response to having to watch it, I felt like it was going to be kind of depressing, it was going to end up being a movie that really hurt to watch, and I wasn't wrong, uh, um, you know, it is... It's not the most difficult film to watch on this list, uh, but I think that it's it really hits you hard, uh, especially at the end when one of the characters gets shot, and it really hurts to, you know, you've you've been with these characters for a hundred minutes, and you've watched them grow before your eyes. You've seen them learning from the people around them from each other and you you know that they have these hopes and these dreams there's things they want to do with their lives there's places they want to go there's achievements they want to reach and to see that cut down is really really disappointing and depressing i think that cuba gooding jr does a great job in this movie he's you know my the first thing I think about when I think of Cuba Gooding Jr. and what I associate him with the most is Snow Dogs which was like a movie my cousin and I used to watch all the time when we were younger and I we used to, like it used to be on TNT and TBS frequently and I think that it's nice to see him in a much more understated role a much more subdued in a much more subdued character, who's real, and I think he's really brought into his own by Lawrence Fishburne. I think him playing off of Fishburne really elevates both of their performances because you can see that as tough and demanding and seemingly unfair as Fishburne's character is. You know, you can feel the love, and particularly toward the end of the film, around the finale, you can hear and like listen to the 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 wavering in his voice and how he he cares so much about his son and wants nothing more than for him to be safe and well and protected. And yet, you know, he's of an age at that that point where there's only so much you can do and that's tough to deal with as a parent you know i've i haven't been through that experience myself i'm sure that when the, that time comes it will feel that hard for me too and you just you have to trust that your your kids are going to make the right choice and that's you're not sure you're watching you know you're not sure who's really got the the 
the good head on their shoulders in this movie. You know who doesn't, but you don't know who does, and that I found really intriguing. I yeah, so I I really like this movie. I think it's a great movie, and definitely one. Definitely, the social commentary is not as pertinent today as the other African American film I watched that's going to appear later on this list. But it is still very relevant and something that we're dealing with. Uh, you know, particularly dealing with drug dealing and gun violence and things like that you know there's countless stories about that every day honestly across the country number seven and the last film that's tied uh in the top 10 uh so also with an 82 this is a 1969 film directed by ken loach and it is kess now this is one of the films that I mentioned on the retro review episode where it was number one on that list I believe if I'm remembering correctly I think so yeah and it was really it, it I won't say that it likes it that it surprised me necessarily how how powerful it was and how much I res- responded to it but it was very, um, you know, it was, it, it kind of crept into me in a way that I wasn't expecting, which kind of sounds like it just surprised me. Uh, no, I think it just, it, it does something subtle. It, it doesn't, you know, it's not bombastic. There's no real big finale moments. There's it's just kind of a consistent and constant um, belittling of this boy and he just wants to do the things that he likes to do you know as we all kind of always you know everyone wants that on some level particularly when you're a kid and everyone around him is trying to beat that desire out of him and I think that that's a thing that's something that has been beaten out of so many kids by schooling by employers by parents by family by relatives by brothers and sisters by friends constantly you know we're set up to fail essentially because the amount of people that, like, I was in a graduating class of 212 or 212 students, and I would be willing to bet that, I, I, I doubt there's 15 of them who are currently doing something they love, earning enough money to live on what they're doing, and can be can continue to do that thing until such a time happens when they would be able to retire or at least be comfortable living out the rest of their life and you know I'm not one of them you know I I don't hit that hit and hit all those check marks so I I find it really 
powerful to see this movie where this kid, you know, is teased and tormented and bullied. He's yelled at by his classmates, by his teachers, by his family, and somehow, some way, he is able to rise above all of this ridicule, rise above all of this hatred, and be happy with the things that he does. You know, he may not be able to spend his entirety of his life being happy. He may not, even his entirety of his day, you know, he, he only gets maybe a few hours a day where he's not in school, where he's not being trampled on by everybody around him but he embraces those few moments that he does get and he lives them exactly how he wants to and at the very least that is something that is a message that is incredibly powerful and heartwarming and one that I think a lot of that will resonate with a lot of people so Kess number 7 and 82 Uh, number six is the only animated film to make the top ten this month, and that is the 2009 film directed by Stephanie Aubier and Vincent Pitar. I think I pronounced Stephanie's name wrong. Stephane? Stephanie? It's French. Uh, and it's a town called Panic or Panic of Village, which I also probably said wrong and shouldn't have even tried to say. And this movie is just absolutely bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. I remember, I read the synopsis to to you in the preview episode. Here, I will read it again, okay? Maybe it'll make more sense to you this time. Animated plastic toys like Cowboy, Indian, and Horse have problems too. So those are the main characters. Uh, Cowboy and Indian are trying to celebrate Horse's birthday and they get him a present. Cowboy and Indian, continue the synopsis. Cowboy and Indian's plan to surprise Horse with a homemade birthday gift backfires when they destroy his house instead. Surreal adventures take over as the trio travel to the center of the earth trek across frozen tundra, and discover a parallel underwater universe where pointy-headed and dishonest creatures live. With panic a permanent feature of life in this papier-mâché town, will Horse and his girlfriend ever be alone? I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) What insane brain conjured up this film? I don't know, but huge kudos and credit to whoever did because I absolutely loved it I thought it was brilliant and hilarious and it made it felt a lot like the Netflix show Bojack Horseman and beyond the fact that they each have a anthropomorphic slash talking horse character it was really just it felt like a different you know is it, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really having difficulty explaining it at all. But it, it felt just like... I don't, I don't know. 
It didn't feel like anything I'd felt before. It was so strange, so original, so unique. And I don't know. I think you should I think you should watch it. I think you should go find it, watch it however you can, because this is a movie that is definitely gonna leave an imprint on you. It's incredibly short. It's the shortest film on the list this month. And it, it makes no sense, and yet when you're watching it, it all makes sense. And then it's over, and you're like, what the fuck just happened? But while you're in it, if you let it, if you give yourself over to the movie, it will have probably irreparable damage on you for, for the entire duration that it's playing. And I think that is a huge, I take that as a huge compliment to the film, that it's able to impact you in such a way and it just like the the underwater creatures that they're just like it's so weird like I, I don't even know how to describe any of like the individual scenes really there's like a silo and like there's rockets at some point and then the underwater creatures come up onto the land and take over the house but then they have to like blow up the house again uh, and then, like, uh, then they end up. Th- there's like this shop underwater, and they have to buy all these things. And then it all seems like completely absurd and unnecessary until it isn't. It's really odd and really strange, and I really, really liked it. I gave it an 83, and that's my number six movie, A Town Called Panic. Into the top five. So, number five is a 1969 film directed by Paul Mazursky called Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. I gave this an 87. So, this is a type of movie that I mentioned before that I I, I really like, which is kind of just a talking movie. You know, a movie where you have a very restricted number of characters, pretty much the entire movie is them talking and discovering themselves and learning more about each other and arguing and debating over various issues and topics. Uh, some some standouts of this ver- this genre would be uh, Richard Linklater's Before series, Sunset, Sunrise, and Midnight. Or um, I would say another one might be find it really quickly the sunset limited uh which stars samuel l jackson and tommy lee jones and they're the only two people in the movie so you know i like movies like that bob and carol and ted and alice is very similar in that style because it's pretty much those four people they're like you know everyone else that's involved in the movie is very tangential to the actual story which is these two couples one of which goes on this retreat and they like open up more to each other and kind of discover themselves and get a little you know what what some people might call kind of fruity or artsy fartsy or hippie they you know they they embrace that sort of looked down upon style of life and you know Ted and Alice so that's Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice are just like what 
why how how did that work on you like why why are you like this now and you know through the fir- their first conversation Ted and Alice learned to they learned to accept it they you know hey look this is these are our best friends we fully understand what's happening and we appreciate that they've opened up to us in this way and you know they be- the, the the four of them become much closer because of this experience and so I, I really enjoyed all of the performances. You know, I think Natalie Wood is great. I think Elliot Gould and Diane Cannon are fantastic, uh, particularly the particularly in their solo scene. Like, there's two, two or there one. I think there's two scenes where Gould and Cannon are together without um, Wood and Culp with them. And they're, those are fantastic. Just the escalation and discussion that goes on during those scenes is phenomenal. And the dialogue, I think, is great. The characters are really well written, really well performed. You know, Robert Culp is fine. Uh, and I think he's just good enough to not be too noticeably out of his league, which I think he kind of is in the film. But he, he's able to uh, hold on just enough to be better than, to appear better than he is, I think. And I think, I think his performance is the biggest uh, thing that draws back the film from a higher rating. Because everyone around him is great. Every, the story, everything's well written. Just his performance is a little off in comparison to everybody else's, in my opinion. And the way that this movie approaches the idea of cheating and how you can forgive someone for that, whether or not it's possible, whether or not it should be possible, um, is interesting. And it really gave me a lot to think about should a scenario like that ever occur with me and a significant other of mine. And that's, you know, that's what you want. You know, you, you want a movie that's going to stay with you that, you know, there are multiple times since I've seen this movie that I've brought it up in conversation because it's tied to what has been talked about. And that's great. I love that because I can, like this is something I can directly reference. You know, these are two people who did cheat on each other and forgave each other. And then these are two other people who didn't cheat on each other, don't want to cheat on each other, and think that it's ridiculous to forgive someone for cheating on each other. And that's kind of the driving force of the movie, is these two couples kind of butting heads constantly. And I thought it, I think it's a great movie. I was pleasantly surprised by just how much I liked it. You know, I went in thinking that I was going to enjoy this movie, but I was actually... It it still surpassed my expectations, I'll say. Number four is The Planet of the Apes from 1968, directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, starring Charlton Heston. I have seen... Uh, get your paws off me, you dan- 
or how like, wait, hold on take your stinking paws off me you damned dirty ape i've seen that scene dozens of times or uh the ending scene where uh he says something along the lines of you ruined it you wrecked it you you know complain you know heston just crying out just how poorly you know human beings treated the world and i thought going into this movie that because i knew the general plot because i knew those key moments that it wouldn't be as enjoyable i thought you know maybe maybe this is going to be one of those movies where i'm just like well i feel like i've seen it i feel like you know i have seen the mark Wahlberg planet of the apes and having seen those key scenes you know i just i didn't feel like i was going to be impressed and man i was wrong i was very very wrong this movie is genius it's just genius it it's so timely i think it's just as important now as it's ever been uh you know whether you want to take that as being in light of the recent election here in the United States, whether you want to take that as, you know, in relation to the various uh, events of police brutality, whether you want to relate it to foreign occupation or just, you know, anything, I think it, it addresses a lot of issues so well that it's really tough to come away from this film without thinking about present day and the direction that our society is headed to or at least the direction it seems to be headed to and it's all enraptured and and wrapped around Charlton Heston he carries this film on his broad shoulders and never lets it fall and that's that's so impressive i am so pleased to have been able to experience this film if that's not too kind of sappy it you know once you get past kind of the definitely poor costume makeup things that were probably quite strong and good in their day but have since become very outdated very inauthentic and uh, you know, not anything like what we've seen in like this, the Jungle Book, which came out this year and blew me away with how great the special effects in that were. This there's nothing like that. You know, it's a small set. You know, the, there's this just a small village, which, as far as we know, is kind of the only village of apes ever or left. And I haven't seen the sequels. I that having seen this one, it has definitely bumped the sequels up on my my radar for sure, and I'm sure I'll be trying to work those into future scavenger hunts as often as I can to find the time to watch them. But I just so taken by this film, and I think that it's it's one of those movies where it's always going to be relevant, and that's what elevates it the most for me so that's Planet of the Apes I gave it an 89 
Uh, so right on the cusp of that 90, that significant 90 threshold. And I, I there's not a lot more I can say. I, I think it's, mo I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have already seen it, but to, you know, maybe it's time to go back and revisit it because it is that good. It is very good. Moving on to number three, we have broken into the 90s. Uh, so there are three films that I watched this month from The Scavenger Hunt that were given a rating in the 90s. And number three overall with a 91 is a 1989 film directed by Spike Lee called Do the Right Thing. And son of a bitch, this is a genius film. I almost couldn't believe what I was watching when the finale happened. And it was just like real life. You know, we literally had an exact event like that happen not two years ago. Maybe it was even last year. I, I, Eric Gardner, right? Like a bigger guy who gets choked by the police and ultimately dies by their hands and that's literally a thing that happens in this movie and it's breathtaking it is horrific and really painful to watch i i was on the verge of tears watching this movie because you just it's just these normal people these are just everyday people some of them are hot-headed some of them are just trying to make their own life in the place that they're working in the place that they live and it just happened that this is just one of those days where hot temperatures everyone just want to just wants to cool off everyone just wants to you know go about their business and uh, that they can't because you know you you give you you catalyze enough hatred and enough bigotry and enough prejudice in enough people and it's going to boil over and it's going to explode and that's really what happens in this movie you know you the first like 20 minutes you know there's an inkling of what's to come but like nothing showy at all nothing that heavy you know everyone except for Giancarlo Esposito's character feels perfectly fine you know they're not gonna you, you don't see the end coming from those opening like 15-20 minutes and then throughout the like bulk of the middle of the film you think you get the sense that like well something has to happen you know, what is the end of this movie going to be like? Because there's really not a big plot. There's not really too much of a narrative. You know, we're following Spike Lee's character as, you know, he's just this pizza delivery guy and he's interacting with all these different people and, like, sometimes they, we see them without him and so it really is this huge ensemble. But when the, fin when the finale hits and... You know, even when you see Esposito and Bill Nunn enter the Sal's shop, you know, as soon as Sal grabs that bat, 
you know, you think, well, shit, is he gonna, is he gonna hit one of them? Uh, who's gonna, or is he gonna ha- hit somebody else by accident? And then he destroys the radio, and you know, it's a, it's it's a powerful moment, and you know, that on its own could have been good enough, or could have passed as like a finale or an ending scene. You know, Sal destroys this guy's radio, kicks everybody out. Maybe he even, like, shuts up, puts up shop and leaves the town or something. Leaves that street. And then the police get there. And everything just goes way out of control. You know, it's like all these, like, small inciting incidents are continuing to happen. And they continue to snowball. And they get bigger. And they get bigger. And they get bigger. And finally... There's no longer anything that can contain what's happening. And you just... I think the title of this film is so well constructed because you don't know who... Are they doing the right thing? Is that level of violence necessary on anybody's part? Or... Is everyone making the wrong decision? And is Spike Lee trying to tell us that that's not how to do it? Or that is how to do it? And I think, in my personal opinion, he does leave that up to a little bit of interpretation. I think I think ultimately he sides on the Martin Luther King Jr. side of, you know, nonviolence. But there is a time and a place where the Malcolm X side of things where you know you can only be beaten down for so long until you strike back and it's a tough tough line to cross you know a movie that came out this year the birth of the birth of a nation you know touches on this same idea you know at what point do you fight back and while slavery and life in bedsty is you know a very different experience they're touching on the same ideas, you know. It was a much more obvious racist and prejudiced thing that was happening when we when there was slavery. But that there's just as much prejudice and racism now. It just doesn't come out as obviously. You don't see it as easily. It's much more difficult to notice. And if you're not the one that's being affected directly by it you may miss it entirely but for the people that are experiencing it that's like they go to bed thinking about that shit they you know they're in their head all day like just get off my back you know i'm just another person just like you why don't you treat me that way and i i think this is a masterful film from Spike Lee who has has really put this this film and you know it's got a lot of a, a huge legacy you know it's a movie I still hear talked about today it's still referenced today and I think that that's with incredibly due cause because it is incredibly important it is really important right now even today this is 27 years later and this film is just as relevant as it's ever been
That's Do the Right Thing from Spike Lee. With it, I gave it a 91. My third movie overall uh, for the month of November. Now for something completely different. Number two from this year. So this is a 2016 release directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Shainert, Shainert, starring Paul Dano, Daniel Radcliffe, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. This is Swiss Army Man. I gave Swiss Army Man a 94. And this is completely about face from Do the Right Thing. This is Castaway with a corpse instead of a volleyball meets... I don't even know. It meets something completely absurd and completely unbelievable. And it's, it's fantastical. It is magnificent. It goes places that you wouldn't expect it to go. It appears to be a comedy but it's much more of a drama than anything else, I think. And, you know, it pushes the boundaries of the human body much further than they actually could be pushed. But you don't care because it's such a sweet and charming film that manages to make you care about this relationship between a man lost on an island and a fucking corpse like how crazy is that Uh, I mean maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't do that for you but it certainly did that for me and I, I was just blown away by how powerful this movie was and how brilliant I think it is you know, Dano and Radcliffe are fantastic together. They have great chemistry. I don't think anyone has ever or may ever play a corpse as well as Radcliffe does in this movie. And, you know, beyond that, the soundtrack is fantastic. It's really different from what most scores are. Uh, but I found it really intriguing and I, I I bought it immediately after watching this movie so it kind of it hits on every level and I give it a 94 I think all six points that it needed to get to 100 are all missing from the ending which I think is good but it is so I think the decision that was made based on what Radcliffe does at the end I think was the wrong decision and that's why it it drops it to a 94 but it is definitely a movie that is going to break you down and test you to see just how far you're willing to go to believe in something you know it's it's not just this is the world of Harry Potter and there's magic that's easy or this is the world of Mad Max Fury Road and 
there's a guy on bungee cords playing the guitar with fire coming out of it. That's easy. This is a corpse that can shoot, like, rocks out of his mouth like a machine gun and farts into and turns into a jet ski and then talks to Paul Dan... Like, it just, like, you... It just, it's, the premise is just so absurd and ridiculous. And yet, when you're watching it, it all feels normal. Yeah. Swiss Army Man. 94. Number two from November. And finally, number one overall with a 96 and my most recent entrant into my top 100. A film from 2000, directed by Wong Kar Wai. It is a foreign film called In the Mood for Love. And compared to the last... uh, Wow, I guess... The most re- compared to the last three films, so Swiss Army Man, Do the Right Thing, Planet of the Apes, those are all pretty bombastic films. They are all heightened and at times over the top that seek to thrill you in different ways. And In the Mood for Love is none of those things. You know, it has much more similarities with Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice in that it's it's very subdued. It's very quiet. It doesn't really shock you. It doesn't pop out at you very much. It wants to be embraced and recognized for what it is. And that's all it is. It is a beautiful film that shows the care and emotion and love between two characters who, while individually, isn't, would not be anything to write home about, but when their stories are combined, become something great and something fantastic to experience. And, you know, it's a very small movie. It's, it's another one of those movies where it's mostly just two characters talking and discussing things. Uh, you know, they learn about how their spouses are cheating on each other and then they just continue to be drawn to each other as the film moves on and as the film progresses until they feel more comfortable with each other than they do otherwise and it's not about cheating on their spouses just because their spouses cheated on them it's about this connection this need to be loved and held and cared for and comforted by another person and they find that in each other and I think that that's so beautiful that is so tender and emotional and I I couldn't help but kind of fall in love with them as they sort of fell in love with each other and The film doesn't explicitly come out and tell you anything, really, which I think is a strength, because it requires that you 
make those leaps yourself. It requires that you kind of connect the dots and say, no, he does like her. No, he's falling for her. No, she's falling for him. She doesn't want to be alone. She doesn't want to spend time away from him and, you know, all these things that feel like they should be easy to recognize but are actually quite difficult to to realize once if if you're not watching it if that, if that makes any sense i i just found this film to be so moving so painstakingly crafted and the dialogue is fantastic it's it's above and beyond and that's tough for me to say when I was just reading the subtitles. So I wasn't even getting the actual authentic dialogue. You know, I was getting, you know, incredibly close to what the actual dialogue was. But I probably wasn't getting 100% exactly what was being said between the two characters. So I, I feel like I'm missing just a very small piece of that. And... That's kind of a shame. I, I wish, you know, I wish I spoke. Mm, if I guess, I'm probably gonna be wrong. I wish I spoke that language, <laughs> and I wish I, I fully understood what those things meant, because I think that that would be even more powerful than it already is. So that's in the mood for love. My number one film from this month from the month of November with a 96 and that is the top 10 so just to run through them again Me and You and Everyone We Know Carlito's Way Boys in the Hood Kess A Town Called Panic Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice Planet of the Apes Do the Right Thing Swiss Army Man and In the Mood for Love so that out of the way let's look at the 10 superlatives that I've come up with for uh, for this month and so we'll kind of we'll, I'll be able to mention a couple other movies that didn't quite make the top 10 and then as well as kind of just clarify some of the things so in no particular order I guess really just kind of the order that I thought of the superlatives in first up biggest surprise uh so this was a tough one to call you know a town called panic really knocked me off my feet in a way that i didn't expect it to but i knew going in that it was probably just crazy enough to be a fun enjoyable movie and so it ultimately did not win this this award and that and so the biggest surprise is actually going to planet of the apes like I said, I had really low expectations for this movie going in because I did think that I was going to feel bored by it because I knew pretty much what had happened. And yet, it played and it was so engrossing and so powerful that I couldn't turn away. And so it was a huge surprise that I really loved it as much as I did. And so Planet of the Apes is this month's best biggest surprise. On the other side of that coin is biggest disappointment. So, uh, you know, there are a handful of bad movies that I saw this month, for sure. 
but I think hands down the biggest disappointment was Contact. Uh, so I gave Contact a 24, which means that it is, in my opinion, an awful movie. And for Context, the another movie that I've rated 24 is Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. I think if I had to watch Contact or Batman v Superman, I guess I'd probably watch Batman v Superman. I wouldn't be happy about it, but I guess I would. Because at least the subject matter and the characters in Batman v Superman are ones that I know, sort of. And ones that I, I can at least recognize, I suppose. Whereas in Contact, I just felt like, you know, I had I had this idea going in that this was like, okay, aliens contact the Earth. There's going to be like a science-y side to this movie where we're going to have to figure out who goes to meet them. How do they make contact? Someone's going to make contact with them. How are we going to do that? What's the, what's the thing? How's what's going to happen? What's, what's what? And yet instead, <clears throat> there ends up being like an hour of this movie devoted to Matthew McConaughey and Jodie Foster making googly eyes at each other, arguing religion versus science, and whether or not that's a viable conversation to have, like, I don't, I don't want to watch that movie, you know, not, not, it, it's too blatant, it comes out too obvious with, with that argument, if you really want to make that argument in a movie, I think it'd be much simpler and much more straightforward, or I guess much, I, I think it'd be better served to be more, to be more subtle, I don't want to actually have two characters in the movie argue religion versus science. I want to see in the movie how religion and science are ap- applied and what that means for each one. You know, I personally am a science person on that scale. And so it just felt like the movie wasn't, you know, even though ultimately Jodie Foster is the one who makes contact with the aliens, I never felt like her arguments were given enough credit. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because the director was much more partial to the religious side of things. Maybe he was interpreting it that way from the source material Maybe it was because of the studio. Maybe they knew that that would be better for the movie, which it couldn't have been because apparently the film did like awful at the box office based on its budget. So a huge disappointment to me because I really had high hopes for contact and it just did not deliver on really any front. However, uh, it was not the worst film. And so... The worst film superlative will go to The Scarlet Letter, which I gave a 4. Out of 100, I gave it a 4. And I thought it was just terrible. Just awful, 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 awful. The worst. Not the worst. It's 4 points, so it's better than some things. But it was definitely the worst of this month's scavenger hunt films. Gary Oldman probably the worst role I've ever seen him in 
and Demi Moore was like a shell of the character she played in G.I. Jane, who I think is her best role, personally, and she just did not bring anything to this movie. I think that kind of along the same vein as Contact, Scarlet Letter is way too focused on, at least the film is way too focused on the awful idea that a woman could be in love with someone and be happy. And I get that that's exactly what the book is about. I fully understand that. But this is like, the movie was, the book was written many, many years before this movie came out. You know, I don't even know, I don't know exactly when the book was written, actually. Um, Scarlet Letter is from 1850. So none of the people involved in making this movie were even born when the movie, when the the book came out. None of the people alive today were born then. And I get that it's, it's a timely book. It's one we read in school. It is a movie that, or it is a book that, you know, we used to, you know, it's a, a literary classic. I get that. I'm okay with that. The film, no. You know, I don't know if it's simply the fact that the subject matter it needs to be updated for the current society or if the film just does not do a good, a strong enough job of convincing me that it took place that many years ago, because it doesn't, or, or what, you know, maybe it's just Robert Duvall coming in halfway through the movie to be a dick, but I just didn't, I, I didn't enjoy any of it at all. Right. So, moving on to the other end of the spectrum, let's go with funniest film. Uh, I had predicted that this would be me and you and everyone we know, but that is a close second to the funniest film from my November scavenger hunt, A Town Called Panic. Man, I can't say anything about this movie because I don't know what I watched. It, I, just, I don't know. I wish I could better explain why I found this movie to be good, why I found it to be funny. I just don't know. I can't. I can't really give you anything else. Uh, it's really enjoyable. It's really funny. It'll. It, it, it. My favorite TV show is Community. So if you like the humor employed in Community, I think that A Town Called Panic hits a lot of the same style as, as as Community does. And while, you know, it's not like it's a meta movie or that it's, you know, calling back things or anything like that, which is something that Community does frequently, but just the absurdity, you know, like the paintball episodes of Community are ridiculously absurd. To hap- if they were to happen in real life and everything in a town called Panic would be ridiculously absurd if it happened in real life and so those are the parallels I'm kind of drawing and I laughed so much during this movie 
It was so funny. And so, funniest film goes to a town called Panic. Next, we have most powerful film. You can probably guess, but it's Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee's film. It just, it hits you so hard, and it doesn't let go. I think, excuse me, in my review on Letterboxd, I meant, I said something along the lines of, it's like, you know, you spend like an hour and a half of this movie walking down the street, and nothing is out of the ordinary. Everybody's going about their business, everybody's enjoying their lives, trying to stay cool, just just go, getting through another day. And then all of a sudden you end up on a train track and a freight train blindsides the fuck out of you. It breaks every bone in your body and you don't go flying off. You are stuck on the front of that train with your bones broken, with the force of the train propelling you further and further and further and further, and it refuses to let up because as shocking as Bill Nunn's character's death is, the subsequent rioting and outrage doesn't give you a chance to catch your breath. And man, it is it is a tough, tough watch for sure. Uh, the next category so so do the right thing most powerful film from November November scavenger hunt best uh, or most forgettable film uh, so a film I haven't mentioned yet is Eve's Bayou which I gave a 60 uh, so so it does uh, end up in the good category it has good performances in it uh, Samuel Jackson and whoever else is in it are good, good performances. But even now, it's been, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 days since I saw it. And I don't remember, like, I think I think Samuel Jackson, like, cheats on his wife. And I think the daughter catches him. But I don't remember anything else besides that. I don't, it, it just, it didn't leave any kind of an imprint on me in one way or the other other than like Samuel Jackson's in this. It was directed by a woman because that was one of the that was part of the criteria for the category that it satisfied. So yeah, it uh most forgettable, Eve's Bayou. Best performance. So best performance, male or female, any film, any character, any level of leading, supporting, cameo, any of that all qualify and I'm giving this month's best performance award to Daniel Radcliffe for Swiss Army Man Uh, it's just I just I found it so incredible that he was able to be basically an animated corpse he has to have he has this like childlike wonder because he doesn't know who he is 
but he also doesn't know anything about anything. And then he also knows everything about nothing. But then he also has to be a corpse. Like, he has to be a corpse. He can't actually do anything except talk, really. Which is so weird. And only in, like, the movies do you see things like this. Which is good, because I would hate to... I'd be terrified if this happened in real life. And I think that Radcliffe is able to do it in a way that feels somehow natural. I, I... I can't explain that. And yet, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like, if a corpse coming, like, talking was a natural thing, like, Daniel Radcliffe is perfect at it. And so that's why Daniel Radcliffe Radcliffe gets my Best Performance Award for this month. Uh, Best Direction is going to go to Spike Lee for Do the Right Thing. Yeah, I I think that it's a film that seems to be some seems to be kind of all these loose threads that don't connect at first other than where they're located and then all of a sudden everything comes to a head and I think that that's his brilliant direction that he has that achieves such a great result and considering that like he was very he was much younger when he made this movie you know 27 years have passed and he's put out a lot of movies in that time that have met you know various degrees of success but it's this movie it's it's thanks to his direction that it ends up being as powerful as it is and that's a testament to his skills behind the camera Uh, then we've got most entertaining film, um, and so it, that goes beyond just being the best film because *In the Mood for Love* is a really good film, but it's not really entertaining. Uh, you know, a movie like *A Town Called Panic*, which is really funny, is entertaining. A movie like *Planet of the Apes* is kind of epic and actiony. And it's entertaining. But the most entertaining film was Swiss Army Man. Ugh. You know, I. Th- there's nothing else to it. I. You know, most entertaining. I kind of view that as, some, as a film that's impossible to tear your eyes away from. And that's Swiss Army Man. Of all the films, you know, I could glance at the watch, at my watch, or I could glance at, you know, the computer screen during Do the Right Thing or In the Mood for Love, it parts. But in Swiss Army Man, from the opening scene with Paul Dano putting a noose around his neck and then seeing Daniel Radcliffe wash off on shore, I'm in. I'm hooked. Just take me away. So, most entertaining film, Swiss Army Man. And finally, the last superlative is Best Scene. So... You know, what scene did I enjoy the most? Did, you know, moved me the most, hit me the most, affected me the most? Do I keep with me for the for the longest? And it is our only November 30th, so 
the amount of time that has passed between seeing any of these movies is no is not a month yet but for me the best scene currently is the finale scene from Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice so like I mentioned it's these two couples one couple they've cheated on each other the other couple thinks that's insane and then the final scene they kind of talk themselves into having an orgy to get an orgy together they 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 talk themselves all into getting to bed they all end up naked they're all st- sitting next to each other in bed kind of looking at each other glancing back and forth unsure as to you know what they're going to do what's going to who's going to make the first move what's going to happen and you know you are looking at it and like oh shit are they they're going to do this this is happening and it feels as though Bob and Carol have kind of driven this film in one direction uh, into this sort of promiscuous, uh, open sexual direction. And I don't say any of that as like a negative. That's that's just the way it's gone. And Ted and Alice have kind of con- constantly been these reserved characters who uh, kind of resist all of these new things at every turn. And it finally feels like they're gonna they're gonna do it this is gonna happen and you're watching them and the screen just slowly zooms out they're just sitting on this bed and I think that it would have been incredibly interesting if that would have been the end of the film just them sitting in bed but you get this one more sh- one more shot after that and it's of all of them leaving the hotel room putting on their clothes and the and they're they're kind of like discussing with each other like that was stupid that's a terrible idea no why would we even think about doing that uh or at least enough enough dialogue is given to suggest that they didn't go through with it and i think that that makes the movie so much better because you know all throughout the film Bob and Carol particularly have struggled with and overcome all of these sort of roadblocks uh, that continue to crop up in the middle of their lives with each other, with their friends, with themselves. And finally, they've kind of hit something that they can't just steamroll over. And uh, I thought that was just beautiful start to finish it's just a great scene just one of the best scenes i've seen in a while and you know you can look at the finale of do the right thing you know pretty much most of the scenes in swiss army man i think are great and you know in the mood for love doesn't really have any one scene i don't think that really stands out to me uh, it's kind of just one fluid film. Uh, you know, any you know the couple of iconic scenes from Planet of the Apes are really good, and there's a there's a monologue in Boys in the Hood from Lawrence Fishburne that was uh, I considered for a moment, or just the the conversation from me and you and everyone we know about back and forth as well crossed my mind, but I think. Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, the finale, is is kind of picturesque in a way. 
and I love it so much. So those are the superlatives. That was my top 10, my end of the month review for the November scavenger hunt, uh, which that month, this month, it was the community picks edition because the intended host was not available. So everyone kind of got to submit their own tasks and I had a blast. This is one of the better months I've seen with better better months for as far as groups of films I've seen. Uh, I also did a, or currently I'm still doing a mini scavenger hunt for this month. Uh, I still have two films to watch before midnight tonight. And hopefully I'll be able to get those done. But I didn't want to include any of those in this list. And I'm probably not going to really touch on those as an entity simply because I think four or five of those movies are ones I've already discussed because they came out this year Moana, Billy Lynn uh, Arrival you know, just movies that I've already gone through in some capacity so I'm also not going to be doing that again next month I'm go- you know, I found that it is really time consuming if I can't fit enough new releases into the tasks because I just don't have the time to watch all those movies when I'm also going to the movie theaters movie theater like once a day so that that not having those extra 15 movies should free me up a lot more in December I hope <laughs> we'll see and yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to next month's scavenger hunt and next episode, you'll be able to kind of get an idea of what I'll be watching going forward. Thank you all for listening to this. Uh, I know it's been somewhat of a long episode. We're nearing the hour 20 mark. But I appreciate you sticking it out with me, if you have. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, uh, critiques, or suggestions about anything at all, uh, you can f- make any of those at circleoffilm at gmail.com is the email address or on circleoffilm.com to find any of my other contact information. And if you like the show and want to support me in any way, currently the best way to do that would be through iTunes by liking and reviewing the podcast. Maybe at some point there'll be some sort of Patreon-like dealio, but for now, this is all it is, and I'm content with with where we're at right now. Uh, So, yeah, tomorrow's episode will be the December preview episode, and as always, have a week. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.